welcome to the Blend Podcast with Tom and Brendan, discussing all things e-learning, digital marketing, design and entrepreneurship. The podcast is brought to you by Blend Interactive Content. Find us on LinkedIn or www.blend.training. Hello, Brendan. How are you? Hey, Tom. I am good. I'm good. Nice to speak to you. And um, this week, we're talking about instructional design. And I think this is quite a good podcast episode to do because, you know, there's a whole industry around this and no one really knows how to define it very well. Or you hear so many different definitions of what instructional design is or what it even means. It sometimes gets a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a well, I know it's got different definitions, but it's like a catch-all term for all sorts of different things. I mean, the official version of it is that it's basically it was it started as instructional systems design, which is basically a framework for learning, and it's kind of rooted in uh, cognitivism, which basically is, is focusing on how people learn and like the like the learner at the centre of it and their approach to stuff. So that was kind of around in the fifties. And basically, it's just a framework for like how to build like materials for instruction and learning. Well, I think materials. an easy way to describe it is, you know, obviously I'm from an educational background, and you know, a big part of my my work before was was curriculum design. You know, designing courses, designing curriculums for students, and instructional design is is just a, a variation on that, really. You know, more focused in for the e-learning world and this whole e-learning industry that has started to grow more and more. Anyway, that's how it's helped me understand what instructional design is about. And obviously, at Blend, our roles are pretty pretty defined in quite a clear way, where I sort of do the instructional design. I mean, obviously, we we talk about ideas together, don't we? And we we plan things together. But what I mean is you know your your expertise is is design in a more traditional sense or you know motion design animation etc and mm-hmm. i'll try and fit in we'll try and build a course around the assets you design for me into whatever project we're doing and designing the course and the steps of that course is the instructional design part yeah yeah um, at the end of the day i'm basically my background is in storytelling and yours is in um teaching people how to do something so basically at the start we we chat about it we analyze it together and then you work out what they need to learn to what, what they need to be able to do and then i help you make the content that work like gets them to a point where they can do it yeah i think it's a nice way of putting it putting it maybe is like the meeting of telling someone or helping someone to learn something by using storytelling I think storytelling is where we meet in the middle, isn't it? You've got the design background, I've got the education background and where we meet in the middle where, you know, where we have a common ground is, is how we love storytelling and how we try and implement storytelling into whatever we're doing. Yeah. I think that's the thing is that basically I've been doing storytelling for commercial reasons. And once we started doing it for learning, a learning purpose, it suddenly kind of leveled up into some sort of purpose and mm. like the, the the satisfaction that comes from it and i think that's part of the thing is that basically being able to create quality content free learning has a massive uh, payoff in terms of like you've actually helped someone achieve something well yeah you you know you said yourself you use storytelling for commercial purposes before and we were yep. sitting there scratching our heads saying well hold on why can't we use storytelling for 
when we're creating e-learning you know and I think as much as instructional design is super important and that is you know the core framework of everything we do why can't we add that creativity in there why can't we add those storytelling elements in there and I think that's sort of our that's our main sort of mission at all times isn't it whenever we're creating something I think that's the thing because we we both come from different backgrounds and we're both flexibly approaching every problem so I think we feel quite strongly that you should be flexible with the framework as well like learn Mm. the rules and then start asking and questioning well do we have to do this in such a rigid model do we have to do this in a kind of okay we analyze it we design it we develop it we iterate we evaluate uh, implement implement sorry yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's why you're doing that part of the project (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah because then the thing is is like well maybe we can we can prototype more often so maybe there's ways of yeah ways that we can evolve the process and apply the process to actually improving the framework itself yeah and we found that pretty quickly didn't we that even though the addy model is the is the go-to framework don't get me wrong i i'm not against the model per se but it can be limited if you're if you're not flexible enough with it you know and i i think it makes a lot of sense and it's a good framework to have but we want to be more flexible with our approach we don't we don't necessarily think we have to stick to the addy model 100 percent. you meant you said the word iterate but that's because we often do add iterations throughout the addy model process you know even even in development stage even in the design uh you know the design stage we keep going back and forth and we don't want to only go to the next step until the previous one is complete we want that we want that option to be flexible in our in our process and i think that's really important and I think that's where your background really helps as well because we've tried to merge design thinking principles and concepts into these more traditional instructional design uh, theories. Yeah I mean there's things like in, in design thinking there's stuff like agile which is the idea is is that you come up with an idea you prototype it as quickly as possible and then you um, basically constantly iterate it and improve it so you've got this really tight feedback loop that's used often for um, software development because you need to constantly be on top of it and whereas traditionally like instructional design would be a long linear thing where you'd evaluate it at the end we're kind of saying well let's not uh, lock ourselves down to that I think there's a lot that can be achieved by just uh, evaluating it along the way and the best exactly. way to evaluate along the way is prototype and um, I think and you're going to save yourself a massive headache a massive yeah, potential headache at the end where yeah. you turn around and you give the the customer or whoever it is the end project and they're like no this isn't what we wanted because you haven't iterated and evaluated throughout the process yeah I like I like doing a project where there's no surprises it sounds like a weird thing to say but basically if you can if you can prototype and evaluate a project at every stage, the chances that it goes off track are so small that you can even shut down a project after the like a meet. Like we do a thing where we uh, we have a meeting, we run a workshop for an hour, and then you and I storyboard out a project, like literally onto one board, and it means that any you, anyone can literally prototype the project at the stage where someone can be like okay yeah we're not going to spend money on this or perfect let's go down this route and everyone's in alignment and I think that aspect of like well let's not make assumptions let's not 
embrace surprises. Let's just get everyone on the same page and then make an informed decision at each stage. It work, it, may, it saves a lot of time and money, I think. Yeah. And um, I don't really want to, you know, get into too many sort of buzzwords and, you know, things like this and, and boring sort of definitions of things. But I think um, with instructional design, there are different approaches, mm. you know, you can make. And you, you hear words being thrown about like cognitivism and behaviorism and constructivism. But I think, you know, really what that means is it's just what is your focus when designing a course? You know, yeah. how are you approaching the design? And cog- cognitivism is more learner focused. Um, behaviorism is like more learning objective focus. Constructivism is more building on previous learning. But I think the problem with these types of definitions is you can sort of pigeonhole what you're doing. And one thing I found is often with instructional design, with your course design, your e-learning design, you're using a combination of, of different things. You know, you, you like we've said in previous episodes, you have this sandbox of learning, which is very much falling into like the constructivism sort of bracket. But that still needs to have some structure and framework. Otherwise, it's basically just play without any yeah. without any learning behind it. So you need to sort of tie all these things together. And I think this is one problem, at least I don't know if you agree, but I found when we first started delving deeper into this world was people were not very flexible with their terminology either. And they yeah. they got caught up in in categories and learning theory with, uh, without seeing the practicalities of how learning works, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that. I think that basically, uh, well, it's in our nature, human's nature to like categorize everything. I think when someone's putting a lot of work to work something out, in the same way that I'm precious over design, if I've spent a ton of time making something, I'm almost I almost defend it past the point of reason. So there's like a lot of effort that's gone into work out these terminology terms, these approaches. It's quite complex. So their level of flexibility of going, oh, actually, mine's only a small part of the bigger thing. Let's just get a balanced approach by considering everybody else's. There's almost like a an objection to uh, like accepting that everything is just a component in someone's toolkit for teaching and not and multi-tool that can be applied to everything and I think that that's what's interesting at the moment especially with e-learning changing the way that we approach everything is that you can't just stick to one of these ways the the with the data that you get from using e-learning you can prove that actually a combination is always a better approach and being flexible is always a better approach than just adhering to one strict kind of uh, style well and also you know you can't say that one's better no you know the no because apples and oranges because there's so many variables who are your learners what's the subject matter so it's pointless saying you know this is the best way because it's going to change every time you do something anyway you know and then you've got all these other factors to consider are you teaching adults or kids well you know adults are more intrinsically motivated compared to kids so you've got a bit if you're with if you're uh teaching kids or creating learning for kids the chat you've got to try and build motivation into the game therefore you're going to probably need a bit more structure or a bit more positive reinforcement etc etc and then that might change the learning theory behind the instructional design you're implementing or you've got uh, different learner styles 
you know you have visual learners people who like pictures videos animation infographics you've got auditory learners people who like listening to podcasts people who like discussing things Mm. or you've got kinesthetic learners role people who prefer role play or hands-on things experiential activities so all these variables will inform the type of learning you design in the first place and so i think it's just you're fighting a losing battle trying to you know put yourself in one of these camps of of how instructional design should be you should be created i think that the thing is is that when you normal teaching i mean i'm just guessing but as a normal teacher you apply what you're teaching but you build in a kind of like you fill in the sand around the stones with your soft skills your approach your your adaption to everybody so like you don't just hammer around the hammer back the hammer down the whole point like the same points you adapt them you rephrase them you uh, explore them differently depending on the the student's needs and the thing is because e-learning doesn't have a kind of an organic analog approach to it so you can't just it doesn't just automatically adjust to everybody it shows these holes in the methodology because like a piece of uh, content that you've taught in class will work really well because you've put in the effort to actually personalize it to each person but the same piece of content when presented to a whole range of people digitally doesn't have that buffer of a person in between them a teacher in between and so that's where these where we have to be flexible and we have to be uh, filling those holes with a with more overlap between the different approaches and use all the tools in the toolkit rather than just be like i'm just using this one and i'm on the download using my soft skills to fill in the gaps well yeah and on top of that you could teach the same thing to two different individuals and give and the content you're providing for one of the users is more visual and the other one's more auditory you know and that can be in the same course itself you know and that's obviously coming back to how you personalize the learning which is which is key to any instructional design yeah definitely and then adding into that as well how can technology help you inform your instructional design or how can you use new technology to create content that is good for different types of of learners and i think one thing that we've spoken about before is is um virtual reality or augmented reality and using that to help you know the design of 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 courses of learning of 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 our instructional design and the eye tracking idea was was one wasn't it yeah so we were chatting to someone about the idea of the idea that basically each learner had different types of learning that appealed to them the most so like what you were saying before with the auditory the kinesthetic things like that and using their kind of tracking their reaction to kind of like a, a benchmarking question uh, set of questions to un- like uh, understand what actually got their attention the most and obviously everyone's a bit of a combo of everything but often say for example i am highly auditory and so if someone's talking off in the distance and i can hear that there's a voice i cannot concentrate on what i'm doing because it's it's wanting to listen to that instead and the thing is is that if you could build something with ar or in vr that allowed you to monitor someone's reaction to different types of content in theory you could basically build uh, the same the same curriculum but through different approaches that meant that you could you could appeal to and make a bigger difference to all different types of students well, each user who plays it yeah it's sensory personalization and i think that's something that would be really cool to 
to introduce and like that idea of more flexibility in like personalization for users and yeah. uh, learners is yeah. where instructional design can definitely improve. Yeah, there's, there's so many things you need to consider in instructional design. Another one is you've got types of learners in terms of their sensory learning, you know, visual, uh, auditory, etc. But then you've got pe- different types of intelligence. And um, for me, this comes full circle all the way back to episode one of the podcast we did, where yeah. we feel the education system as a whole is quite narrow in terms of how it defines intelligence. You know, it's it's very focused on academic intelligence, learning how to take tests, memorization, this sort of stuff. Whereas yep. there's so many different forms of intelligence. You know, everyone's got that mate who is fantastic linguistically, you know, and just wins every argument or has got the chat, you know, can get themselves out of any dodgy situation by charming <laughs> someone or, or whatever, you know. Or you've got a friend who is just amazing like practically you know give them something broken and they'll fix it you know just give them a bit of time and it'll come back completely fixed that handyman type friend and these are all different forms of intelligence and this also needs to be fed into instructional design you know sorry you just made me laugh you made me laugh because you were basically describing the (laughs) a-team member of them and i had to, i had to stop you otherwise you were going to get all the way around to like describing hannibal and i wouldn't be able to contain myself any further <laughs> yeah what were you yeah. saying no but i mean yeah it's just it's just these types of intelligences yeah. that also need to need to be considered and i think if you address those in your instructional design whether that's through gamification through social proof in the sense that you okay if you do this hands-on you'll get social proof to other people playing the game to know you're good in this way you know you have this form of intelligence or you know you can create um a, a piece of learning where you need these varieties of skill set and you work within a team so different people can play to their own strengths a team style or crystal maze style or whatever using their their strongest forms of intelligence to to help with a process then this for me is really good e-learning really good instruction design because that's how life works me and you in in blend you do aspects of the business i do aspects of the business because we're playing to each other's strengths that's the point that's how the world works so why should learning be any different yeah i think that's the thing is that basically just kind of forcing every peg into a shaped hole doesn't benefit the peg at all <laughs> You should really. You wouldn't have a football team where you had eleven players who were jack of all trades. You I know, because I'm terrible at football. I don't know <laughs> anything about it. <laughs> you'd be a terrible manager because you'd want you'd want your specialists, wouldn't you? And that's yeah. the way the world works. And for me, I don't really understand why this is not addressed more in learning. You know, why are we teaching everybody? You know, in the mainstream education system, to have the same set of skills when we're all different. I understand, you know, everyone needs to learn to read and write. And of course, I'm not I'm not dismissing key skills like that. But once you progress in your education, once you start to understand what type of learner you are, what you're good at, what you're not so good at, this is where your learning should should tie into that. There was something that I would, uh, I'll have to try and remember what book it is. It might come to me in the end. But if not, basically, the gist of it is they were talking about it's much, much harder to fill in a, a void in your skill set than it is to take what you're already good at and then push yourself so you're master master it 
that might be it actually it might, it might be uh mastering master classing or something rather basically um yeah it's the idea that it's much much easier to basically enhance something that's already there than it is to fill in a hole so completely build up a skill from scratch and i think that's something that's really important is that everyone somewhere given the right environment has a skill and has a a natural uh, a natural ability in something yeah and that should be acknowledged because then you've got another set of problems where people feel stupid or people feel like they don't have you know any form of intelligence because they don't have the one particular intelligence that is being obsessed uh, being assessed in the in the learning or at school or whatever and this is also yep. a wider problem and again this just leads on to this idea of learning needs to be personalized and that blend you know we try and do it in different ways you know i mean you can personalize in loads of ways can't you by the name by the content that's being provided by the media that's being provided by the learning objectives for each specific user by branch scenario learning this choose your own adventure style learning by you know even easter eggs you see easter eggs in video games you know so there's all these ways you can personalize learning or using gamification to help personalization and again we you know it seems like we talk about this every week but it's because these this is the way learning is going and this is the way learning has to go yeah yeah uh it's mastery by robert green that was it the name okay. of the book so check that out we put it in the show notes i think that's the thing is that basically i think like everything when you've got enough of a the, the well the industry's there there's enough um like it's all going in the direction of e-learning the thing is is that the process and the uh, frameworks will be um, developed and iterate and they, they're all organically changing and I think just by like it was almost like a eureka moment when both of us came together and we were like hang on this instructional design and also kind of my production design there's a massive overlap because if you think about like what we're what we're doing they're basically in, in commercials the goal is to basically get the audience to buy something so you analyze them to understand them you engage them in the best way possible and you basically lead them to a point where they they want something but for a learning goal you're getting the audience to be able to do something so again you're still analyzing them to understand them you're engaging them in the best way possible and then you lead them through the content to where they're able to actually do the thing that you would got set out at this beginning and the thing is when you compare the results of against the goal at the end you still come back and iterate and you uh, you try and improve so the like the overlap is huge and i think that one of the things that um commercial and production the business side of design the design thinking aspects of things that are used a lot is that they focus on iterating quickly prototyping and uh, uh, evaluating quickly to in the in the service of evolving the solution in the same way that elon musk chucks up loads of rockets to work out how to build the best rocket because he does it quicker and faster than nasa who took ages and so i think that because there's that overlap there's lots of opportunities to actually improve the the, the process and as long as we're flexible and in it, it towards instructional design there's lots of elements that can that can be improved and uh, sped up and actually make it more in the service of putting your time into actually making good content rather than worrying about how are we following the structure of it properly um one good example is actually the the action mapping so like kathy moore kind of developed this and she's basically like properly like if you ever hear an interview with her she's like really to the point she like properly cuts the fat off of uh planning a project 
So what she does is she just goes, right, you just the idea is, is that you map out the actions you need to do to hit the goal. So don't go, oh, they need to know all this stuff and make assumptions um, about what it is and put in all the content in an ideal world. What she does is she just goes, right, focus on the goal. What are the actions that you need to do to meet that goal? So what does the learner need to do specifically? Then you pick the scenarios. So which which kind of arena best helps them practice those actions? And only then do you start talking about what knowledge or information that person needs. And that way you're not spending all your time building a ton of content. You're putting a bit of time into the beginning, cutting all the fat off and suddenly you get a really super clean bit of e-learning. So I recommend checking uh, checking that out. She's written a book on action mapping. It's really good. And that's basically it's a design thinking approach. It's, it's taking the instructional process and chopping the fat out, improving the decision making aspects of it and basically uh, improving the ability to just iterate and prototype along the way. It's really cool. Mm, nice. Cool. Well, Brendan, um, as always, pleasure to talk to you. Lots of things to digest there for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing is, is that it's going to keep changing. People's definition of instructional design is going to keep evolving. The processes and the tools that they use as part of it is going to keep evolving. A bit like design thinking. It's just going to just going to keep uh, keep getting iterating and getting smarter i think yeah nice one anyway i will catch up with you soon yeah chat to you next week cheers thanks for listening to the blend podcast it's available on spotify google and apple you can find blend interactive content on linkedin or www.blend.training don't forget to like and subscribe see you next time